Kristen. You're on mute, KP. Can you hear me? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you're good. What's going on? Nothing. I'm in uh, Phoenix for some high school basketball games until tomorrow. And um, yeah, just staying in the gym. You know me. I know you. What, uh, who, who's like the top, the top billing <laughs> prospect on your radar for today? For today, I saw him last night, Ian Jackson. He's some places have him number one in the junior class. Uh, some places have him too, but he's definitely, if he's not the best player, he's the second best player. Um, and he uh, is probably, I, when I talked to him last night, um, he's going to visit North Carolina in January. He's been to Kentucky and he also likes uh, Texas and Arkansas. So those are some of his schools that he's looking at. Um, what, I mean, how good, this is a, a, a quick pivot, but since we're, we're talking more grassroots right now, how good is my former kind of neighbor area area hero DJ Wagner? Is is this kid like guaranteed top five lottery pick, or or does he still have something to prove in that regard? No, and that class is so bad in the sense of you know <clears throat> what we've seen from the freshman class this year. Um, I would say that the junior and senior class in high school right now are, you know, dipped a little bit on the talent side. So DJ is one of the best players in his class, but that's also not saying much <laughs> knowing how, uh, how much better, you know, you look at the sophomore class with Carlos Boozer's twin, twin sons, Cameron, Caden Boozer, you've got Cooper Flagg, who's playing at Mount Verde. Uh, there's this guard, Malik Thomas, who just had a 40 piece. He's outside of Pittsburgh. I just saw him at Indiana. He took an unofficial visit to Indiana. So the sophomore class is super, super talented. So you're going to see, depending on, you know, if they ever waive that rule for the double draft, um, there's a lot of teams that are eyeing the talent that in the 2025 high school draft. So right now, as it stands, it'd be the 2026 draft um, because they they know that how the talent has dipped off um, in the current junior and senior class um let's go right there like there there are arguments for and against going to allowing high school kids back in the draft um and i know forget exactly the events the the tarkanian event right like now the league is kind of opening up more and more um of these uh events that i guess you know David Stern, for example, back in the day was like, we don't want to be overcomplicating things. A lot, of high, a lot of scouts don't want to be going to high school games and adding more and more onto their plate, right? So, right. Um, what say you? Like, do do you think this? I mean, there are a lot of kids who are ready, but like you're saying with Wagner's class, like there are a lot who are not. So, what's kind of your your sense? I mean, do do you do you stand on one side of the aisle? I think I think if players are good enough, they should have the option to go straight to the league. Um, I don't have a problem with with it. I think some of these, you know, one and done having to pretend that they're, you know, going to college for to go to class <laughs> instead of just having to be that gap year before they hit the NBA. I mean, because there's 
there's players right now in college basketball that, you know, could have been drafted last year. Um, and especially, well, even with, when we're looking at Victor, I mean, he doesn't, he could have been the number one pick the last two drafts, you know what and I mean? Scoot. So the NBA and Scoot. Yeah. And, um, but according to Victor, uh, Scoot would have been the number one pick if he had never been born. Remember he said that, uh, yeah. but the, the NBA is getting younger and younger and there's a lot of, um, focus on develop, developing these young players. So I think for the NBA, the way they see the benefit of it is them getting their hands on them as early as possible so they can develop them the right way instead of maybe picking up ticky tack uh, habits either in high school or college. Yeah, I think it's a thing just like NIL where like it's not going to be a one size fits all situation. Um, the thing I just, I've always been concerned about is the kids that aren't ready but think they are right and then let you go pro I mean, maybe now it'll be different with nil that that would that would be a different conversation which honestly thinking out loud and and, and talking with you right now it's probably something i should ask people when i start making more calls but now now that the cba talks have been extended to february i'm sure there'll be plenty of runway to talk about this stuff um i'm curious if the nil situation would allow someone to who either doesn't get drafted or if they're even someone who signs as an undrafted free agent and then they get waived two years in, they're still NCAA, you know, age, you know, a 20 year old, could they go back and take their likeness now from being a former pro quote unquote. And, you know, like someone like, I don't even know, like Cam Reddish, who was huge at Duke and just never got off the ground. It was, it was a lottery pick. Could he have gone back for like to Kansas for a senior year or something like that? You know what I'm saying? Like if, if, if that door opens, and again, this is me just speaking totally off the cuff. I haven't really thought about this until now. I think that'd be interesting, but I, I do worry about, cause there's just a laundry list of guys who are, who are not LeBron and are not, um, um, and are not uh, Vince Carter and Kevin Garnett and what have you. I guess right. Vince went to UNC. And, Apologies. Well, for me, it's uh, I think we're seeing we're seeing it with NIL with um, Oscar Sheway, who could have elected to you know stay in the draft last year and instead he's making a cool million, you know, as the prize son of at Kentucky. They loved him there. Um, Armando Baycott and Caleb Love did the same thing at North Carolina. They elected to go back because the NIL money was going to be there. So if, if you're sitting as a projected mid-second rounder and the best you're probably going to get, you're going to be stashed in the G League and be on a two-way, um, then, yeah, you should go back to school. You should make that NIL money. And it's a sweeter uh, paycheck than what you would be getting from an NBA team as well. Let's transition to this year's draft specifically. Um, yep. It seems like for me, I'm not following it that closely yet. Is there kind of like a sliding scale? Like, is there a new third guy behind Victor and Scoot every couple of weeks? Like how in typical years, there's a new guy at number one, or was that just, or am I just reading different scouts such as yourself and other media folks and listening to people? Like, is that just kind of, a matter of differing opinion right now. Right. I mean, I would say Victor definitely won. Um, 
Scoot has done enough for him to be the second pick, but there would I can imagine there would be teams that would entertain taking a Men Thompson over Scoot. Um, I don't. I don't think that's. Yeah, I've had I've had a couple teams entertain that, but a man um, isn't he, he still needs to him and his brother Asar, they're twins. They're playing for overtime elite, um, six seven, really athletic uh, guards that can be plugged on any position in the perimeter. But um, they they need to develop their outside jump shot, and I think that's the only pause. But anytime I ever hear that, it's like their work ethic is so insane like you almost don't even worry about it because they stay in the gym and this is like a star told me a story um where they were invited to steph curry's camp and prior to the camp he got his hands on the roster because they're playing for overtime elite they don't know these other justin edwards who's going to kentucky they don't know these other players and haven't played against them because they decided to go the overtime route and not stay in AAU basketball and, and play for Team USA and, and that. So Asar got the roster and then went on YouTube and did film study on the players that he was going to be facing at the Steph Curry camp. Like, they, they're just wired differently. You know what I mean? So when you meet a high-character, high-IQ player like that, like, I, I think his shot will be fine. Both are shots, Amen and Asar. Um, but I want to say Amen is kind of – he's showed that he's the the better prospect out of the twins. So I would put him at three. Another name people like Nick Smith Jr. out of Arkansas. He just came back from an injury, had a really good game earlier this week. I think he had like oh, 26 he, he points. Oh, just came back. Sorry, I hadn't heard you the last 30 seconds. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, sorry. Man, um, it's all good. did you hear it's what all good. I, I'm, I'm you sure hear you what dropped I, gold. I'm sure you dropped gold. About a star getting the hands of like the he got the roster from the Steph Curry camp and then went on YouTube and did film study on the players he was going to be facing at a camp, which like no, I, you that just was don't, you, yeah wow okay you just don't you don't hear that so when when two players like a men and a star Thompson are wired differently like that I think once teams start talking to the, both of them um, the fact that they have high high IQ great work ethic their shot's going to fall. So I want to say, like, Amen, Amen is probably the better prospect because he's a better creator and playmaker. Um, but he's kind of sitting at three. Nick Smith Jr. out of Arkansas, who's just coming back from a knee injury. Um, he, I've seen his name at three. NBA scouts fell in love with him at the McDonald's All-American game. Um, and then I really like Brandon Miller's 6'9 guard. Uh, out of Alabama, he he's shooting nearly 50% from three on seven attempts per game and was absolutely incredible up at the PK-85 over Thanksgiving in a game against Michigan State. Um, so he's in, he's in the consideration there. And then also Cam Whitmore, who is also coming back from an injury, he's at uh, Villanova. So those would be the the next tier guys after Victor and Scoot. And then from then on to the end of the lottery, it's, you know, up in the air. Um, is there any big, like, I remember the big Duke, Duke Gonzaga, Paolo versus Chet. Are there any clashes of those guys? Again, I'm, I'm coming from a place of ignorance here, but I, I, you're, you're the expert. Are, are there any inflection points on the calendar? Is there, you know, like I remember that Joel Embiid game against Iowa State his freshman year at Kansas where he just picked apart 
um, everything that uh, the, the the Cyclones could have done. Um, like, do, are, are there any type of those games or, or, or potential clashes in a tournament setting that you were kind of penciling on your calendar between these top prospects? I don't think so. Like I went to, um, there was a scrimmage prior to the season when Arkansas played at Texas. And so you've got Anthony Black, who is, is playing for Arkansas. You've got Nick Smith Jr. So seeing them in the backcourt against a more established, older uh, backcourt at Texas with um, Tyrese Hunter, who is, uh, he's a transfer from Iowa State. And, um, and also Arterio Morris, who's a freshman. Um, and then Dylan Mitchell, who's like literally the most athletic player in this draft. He's insane. Um, I wouldn't like he had 10 points in that game. They were all dunks. Like he is, he's insane. Um, so I wanted, I wanted to see those matchups, but this draft is so unique because po- there's possibility of four guys in the top five that aren't in college basketball. Victor, mm-hmm. Scoot, we, we saw them go head to head. That was probably, you know, that that's the matchup that everybody wanted to see. Um, but as far as any other, like Nick Smith Jr. versus Cam Whitmore, is that something that we would like to see? Yes, but nobody is, you know, googly-eyed over the potential matchup of that. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, for sure. I think the draft kind of needs that. And I think the NBA and the narrative machine kind of feeds off of those um, instances because that's kind of the the ingenious behind the age limit and essentially kind of forcing kids to go to school, which obviously they, you know, there are, there are other avenues now with OTE and with the G league and we saw LaMel and RJ Hampton go to Australia and down the list. But like to have that De'Aaron Fox Lonzo ball kind of rivalry right. brewing, you know, thing to have those organic um, events on the calendar with, Powell and Chet, like we said earlier, it kind of helps build the the lore around these players and get people more interested. You know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, I I think it'd be it would be fun to see, but that's that's the thing. Like these these guard clash matchups, um, there's the versatility is so off the charts. Like there, it's sometimes it's not that head to head matchup like we saw with Chet versus Powell. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's more of okay, uh, if it's Nick Smith versus Cam Whitmore, it might not be the actual head-to-head matchup for the entire game. You know, it might be somebody else guarding. It might be Cam Whitmore versus Anthony Black. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to pick your brain about Chris Chris Murray. I did not know that Keegan Murray had a twin brother until like two yes. weeks ago. I'm a big fan of yeah. Keegan. I think the Kings kind of withstood – the Kings front office – has done a pretty remarkable job of feeling confident to zig when everyone else is zagging, where there was all, I mean, so many people would have taken Jaden Ivey at four, for example, um, right. in, in June. And I mean, dating back to a previous regime, but still under the, the ownership of Vivek Ranadive, like the King straight away from Luka Doncic not too far ago, largely in part because of fears of the fit between De'Aaron Fox um, and Lucas. So I think that probably, and then they, they just moved, um, they just moved Tyrese Halliburton for Sabonis and, and, and thinking that those guys wouldn't have been optimized next to each other. So the Ivy thing never really made 
sense for Sacramento and what they've been thinking and trying to build anyway. But you still got to, I think, take tip your hat off to a team for kind of standing in the face of what this is and it working out. So I'm seeing Chris Murray being mocked in the late first round across places. Is that kind of accurate? Is that maybe propped up by his brother and, and, and his success or, and, and why is he not as high of a prospect as Keegan was? Uh, Chris, I mean, it, it's funny. They're twins, and, and I, I have a twin sister, too. And I was watching their Duke game earlier this week, and I don't know who was calling the game, but they're like, explain to me why Keegan's right-handed and Chris is left-handed, but they're twins. And I said, well, it's called mirror image identical twins because I am the same with my sister. <laughs> it's, like you're, it's like you're looking into a mirror. So one of us is right-handed, the other one's left-handed. Um, but with Chris, I mean, he's just not as athletic as Keegan. And I didn't even think Keegan was that athletic. And he's also not as a consistent scorer. So, for instance, I mean, they played Georgia Tech, um, gosh, I think it was two weeks ago. And I think he had 30-ish points in a win. But then he was super quiet against Duke. I think he only had eight points, um, seven rebounds, and three assists. So um, the consistency isn't there. And what you have to remember when – uh, teams are picking at the back end of the first round. You're, I mean, you're taking a swing at like, maybe you're going to get a Desmond Bain. You're going to find that diamond in the rough, but like you got to know that you're drafting someone that's probably most likely going to be a role player. And with Chris and Keegan as well, I mean, he's a great size, six, eight versatile can be plugged in probably, I don't know, one through four. Um, and she's a high character kid. So there's going to be no off the court issues. There's going to be no locker room clashes. Um, and so there's a lot riding on that and, and a lot of value in that in the, in the late first round. Is Gigi Jackson from South Carolina a bonafide first rounder to you? And I ask because my first girlfriend in sixth grade, her name was Gigi. <laughs> I think so. He's also... Listen, Gigi reclassified. Um, he was originally committed to North Carolina and then flipped and uh, decided to go to South Carolina um, and then reclassed up. So he's one of the youngest players in college basketball, similar, you know, when Amani Bates was playing at Memphis last year at 17 years old. Um, I, I don't think, I think Gigi just turned 18. So he's very young. There's a ton of upside on him. And like I said, developmental, de- development wise, like he's, it's a high risk, high reward because his ceiling is so high because he's so young and, um, you know, stupid athletic, loves to get into the rim, uh, just needs to develop that outside jumper and the pick and pop. But um, no, he's a he's a really, really good kid. So looking at kind of last year's class a bit now, um, Paolo to me has been remarkable in a lot of areas, but primarily at getting to the rim and getting fouled and getting to the foul line. Um, yeah. That, is not, that was not something I really saw from him at Duke. I didn't watch too, too closely, but that I first saw him in that Gonzaga game, and he seemed to me like the runaway first-round pick, or number one pick at that point. But then, yeah. I don't know, he kind of started to fade a lot at parts of the game. The, the, the couple, only games I saw, the couple games I saw him in person, the ACC tournament at Barclays Center, um, he just kind of 
drifted and was a ball mover against you know Syracuse's own. And I forget the other game I saw him play, but the Syracuse game was kind of really startling to me because his jump shot looked shaky and he wasn't really getting to the basket and he was just kind of another guy in the flow of the offense. And then his numbers popped at summer league, um, but it seemed to me still like he couldn't really get to his spots whenever he wanted. And a lot of the fancy mid-range fadeaways were kind of because his path to the rim had gotten halted by the defender. And now he's in the league and he's just a bully. And he is kind of a, a, a man amongst many men and looking like he's a man amongst boys at certain times when he's one of the youngest guys in the league. So I say all this to say, is there a skill like that amongst this top crew of the incoming class that maybe in their current environment isn't getting optimized in the NBA with more space, with better players? There's going to be something that shines that we haven't really seen flourish yet. Ooh, that's interesting. I think because especially at the college level, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different set offenses. There's a, you, you have to play within the system. There isn't a lot of freedom, like you said, and spacing like at the NBA level. Um, so I think looking at it, I mean, Anthony Black might be one of those players like when he, when he was playing free and was able to do whatever he wanted and get to the spots wherever he wanted during the Maui Invitational with Nick Smith Jr. out, um, he looked incredible. Like a completely different player. And he's got the size and he's got the length that's going to translate well to the NBA level. That's why there's so many teams that are high on him. It's just uh, putting it all together as outside jumper. I feel like I'm saying that a lot about the players in this draft class, but it's, it's true. It must just be like something going on this year, but need some work. Um, but he's one of those guys, like, let me tell you something about Anthony Black. He will show up to everything. Like he was at Chris Paul's camp. He, you know, was at McDonald's all American, then hoop summit then went to Jordan Brand, and then when everybody else was too tired to go to Iverson Classic, to get him, Khalil Ware, and Keontae George were the only ones that stuck around and said, no, 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 we'll play in this game, even though we're dead tired. You know, and for the Chris Paul camp, Nike, someone, Nike rep told me a story that they reached out to Nick Smith and, and invited him to the camp, and they had just uh, been over in Spain playing, and Nick got back to them and said, no, I'm too tired. Um, from playing overseas and the Nike the Nike rep was like oh that's that's interesting because your teammate who was just over in Spain with you is coming and he's not too tired so so like the work ethic for AD for Anthony Black is just insane and I love that he always shows up to everything he's got great hair too yeah I don't know how he plays with hair in his eyes like that that's it I'm like you ever gonna cut this as someone, with long, is... as someone with long hair, but he's got longer hair than me. I have to wear my hair up whenever I play pickup. I don't know how he does it either. It seems crazy. I know. His little brother, Beckham, um, is, is one up-and-coming player, too, and he's growing his hair out, too. I was like, I said to, I said to his mom, Jen, I'm like, where did they get this hair from? This is unbelievable. Um, kind of along these lines about, like, showing stuff that maybe he didn't show in college. I mean, Benedict Matherin definitely showed a lot of what he's doing for Indiana. I mean, he was incredible in the tournament. Um, I think people weren't as, I think for him, people weren't as bullish on his jumper. Like his jumper has been far more accurate, especially from 
a longer distance than at, at, at the college level, which might not seem like a big deal, but for some players, it really is a struggle. Like, honestly, when I was in Sacramento, it really seemed like Davion Mitchell is just struggling from the NBA line. Like, he had, like, a, a deeper dip in his form, kind of, like, taking his knee in and trying to add some generate, like, like generate some added power um, that he didn't, ha- it doesn't have in the mid range. Um, so to see him come out and be like, arguably the sixth man of the year as a rookie, um, it's pretty remarkable. I, I mean, I know that the Pelicans, no offense to Dyson Daniels, were very much hoping that Matherin would be there. Um, but once it was clear how the top five was kind of shaking out, um, it seemed pretty clear that Matherin was going sixth to the Pacers. He was he was their guy at that point, but yeah. he was sixth. You know, this guy is is making an argument he should have gone a lot higher. So, what did the kind of scouting world, or or what did we miss about him? Do you think? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, with the, with his shooting, and I think it was his shot selection, and just the fact that he was taking bad shots as well in college. Um, so mm-hmm. once you fix that and you become a smarter shooter and you, you pick when you get the touches, you're making the right read, you're making the right decision. I mean, that, that solves a lot of problems, especially at the NBA level. I had, a, I had a player say to me, he's in college, he's playing at Auburn, Chance Westry. He said, the biggest adjustment to me was uh, the jump of pace from the high school to the college level. And then also your time is limited. Like you got, there's so much talent on your team. Like you got to make every possession count when you're on the court. It's not like high school where you can like take breaks and take possessions off. It's like, no, because you're in it for, you're in the game for a set amount of time, unless you're, you know, one of the stars in the team. And if you don't make it worth that, then, then, you know, you're out and your ass is on the bench again. Like it's the same thing at the NBA. And so I think with Ben Matherin, particularly he's gotten smarter with what he's doing when he does get touches and he's making way better shot selection. Yeah. At times he kind of had, he kind of reminded me of Victor Oladipo when he was with Arizona. Mm-hmm. In term, right. And now I don't really, I mean, he kind of looks like Bradley Beal in a sense, like that's kind of the comparison that's coming to mind. Um, mm. Him and Tyrese Halliburton together is, is, Potentially a, a very so special player. Yeah. Would you... Yes. Would you, if you're Indiana, may, maybe you don't have too strong an opinion here. You know, Miles Turner is someone who's clearly going to be involved in the trade market, being a free agent next year, wanting to, to test free agency. The Pacers not necessarily being a team that is looking to truly, truly compete right now. Um, but they are in the, in, in the thick of the playoff race. Would, would you just... Lock this thing down, re-sign Miles, see how they, he grows alongside these two these two dudes, and kind of keep it moving. Or, or, or would you try to move him along and really invest in those two guys and kind of slow down the timeline here? I mean, it depends on I, like what you want to try to get in this draft class. Like, if you want to just you you see your future as Tyrese Halliburton and Ben Matherin, and you want a shot, they're playing they're playing okay right now. But if you want a shot at Victor and a chance to tank for him, um, then you get rid of him. Plain and simple. But I don't have a problem yeah. with Miles Turner. I think he's a good big in the league. But you're right. Like, the future of that organization is clearly in the backcourt. 
He's only 26, I believe, Turner. So he's not necessarily, you know, aged out of. Yeah, he's 26 years old. He's not. He's not exactly aged out of being around those two dudes. I feel like he could clearly fit alongside these guys for the next five, six. Especially being that they're both still on their rookie deals, and yeah, we see it far more in the NFL. Like the goal in the NFL is to get. Is, is to pretty much get a like what the Philadelphia Eagles are doing to get a quarterback on his rookie contract. What the Seahawks did with Russell Wilson, what the Bills are doing with Josh Allen, and they did with Pat Mahomes. Like, and then the cap management is far fewer and is, is far more uh, strict in the NFL in that there's far more players involved, fifty three compared to seventeen or whatever the the total number is now with two way players and whatnot. But um, having those two guys on their rookie deals. It's kind of a – I mean, Halliburton will come up soon. Uh, but Matham's obviously a rookie. So there's three more seasons left where potentially your starting two guard is making peanuts by comparison to what he's really going to be worth. So I wonder if that's an opportunity to swing rather than – I mean, not to say they're, like, knocking on the doorstep of winning a title or anything, but they're going to have cap space next year. So I don't know. They're, they're in a really interesting spot. Like, they've kind of – vaulted Utah right now in terms of a team that other teams are asking and wondering and putting on their board. Like, are they going to be a buyer? Are they going to be a seller? Because they've got that, that. That's usually a good spot to be in when you were supposed to be a, a tanker. And I mean, I know, like you said, I know the Pacers original goal this season, our original idea for entering this year was to be a bottom five or, or a team with a top five chance of getting, you know, one of these elite prospects. Yeah. Hundred percent. I mean, with the like, we're, we're I'm writing about it all year. I think the draft lottery night is going to be my favorite night to cover throughout this entire draft season because there's going to be one team that is over the moon excited, and there's probably going to be five or six that uh, are disappointed that they missed out on Victor. It's going to be a lot. Of, I mean, it, I was in the room, the room where it actually happens last year for the first time. I hope. Hopefully we'll be back. Um, it was amazing the tension, and I mean it, it. It goes so quick. It's only ten minutes, but like I remember when the Thunder came up at number two. You know they had a chance to get in the fourth pick as well, uh, or maybe even the third and fourth pick if, if my memory serves. And Presti was still locked in, man. Like there were still two potential you know lottery tickets to be punched to take this franchise to the next step, right? So. It is it is crazy how much fate these billion dollar organizations where these franchises pay executives and scouts and then they foot very expensive travel bills and put all this time and resources into valuing these guys and then it comes down to just a matter of four you know little balls bouncing off each other. It's pretty insane. I know. Oh. I know. This is, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a fun year. All right, the last thing for you, KP, thank you as always. Um, I was talking to a friend in the league earlier this week, and he was raving about the Orlando Magic, to go back to Paolo for a second too. Raving up about Paolo and Franz Wagner together as these two you know, obvious hubs of the future. And if one of Jalen's songs or Markel Fultz or Cole L. Anthony can become a legitimate point guard, and then you've got Wendell Carter, who clearly looks like, at least an NBA average starting center at this point in time. 
who knows what Bull Bull can really fully become if Obama's involved in the mix. But this guy was raving about what the Magic have, knowing that they're also likely to get another top pick in this draft. And then at this rate, they'll have a Bulls pick, which top four protected could be a late lottery pick at this point. So right. are there a couple of players that are in this class that you think would be the perfect fits along what side Orlando is? T- take uh, the obvious of Victor Wembanyama could probably fit anywhere spot answer. Right. What, what, what are kind of the, like, I remember in 2014 with Embiid and Nerland's already involved, um, the 2015 draft, or no, I guess with Nerland's already involved, the 2014 draft Sixers fans were dying for Andrew Wiggins. And then they had another pick. Uh, they wanted Nick Stauskas. You know, they wanted to pair those two guys with whatever they're building, but obviously None of those guys happened, and the Sixers, you know, didn't really uh, use that draft for anything. But um, what is uh, the, the the dream pairing here for Orlando to get out of their potential two lottery picks? I will say this. I think Scoot Henderson long-term is going to be a better guard pro than anybody Orlando has right now. Um, better than Markel, better than Jalen, better than Cole. Um, so I know, I know that would be – a fun pairing, um, especially when you got like their lineup is so ridiculous. Like where you got seven foot two Bull Bull, six foot eleven Mo Wagner, six ten Palabin Caro, six ten Franz Wagner. Like it is, it is insane. So, I mean, of course you you want to see like Victor go there and just have Bull Bull and Victor, you know, run rampant in the Eastern Conference. But I think. Uh, I think either Scoot Henderson, I think a Men Thompson, just because he's more of a facilitator, would be good for those guys, especially this young team growing up. And then uh, Brandon Miller, just with his shooting and, um, you know, what he brings. I want to say it was like, wasn't it two years ago where Orlando was the worst shooting three-point team in the NBA? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Am I correct on that? Look at they me have not exactly been scorching, <laughs> scorching from distance of late now. Yes. Yeah. So those are those are just a few names, but when I tell you there are two bona fide superstars in this draft with Scoot and Victor, and then the rest is just like take take your pick of the litter. They're long six five six 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 seven guards that are playmakers um, that have a lot of upside. You know when we're looking at picks three to seven. There you go. All right, KP, I got to run. Thank you for hopping on. Okay. Anything you want to plug before you get out here? Oh gosh, um, I'm, I mean, I'll be at I'll be at Tark. I'm going to do a Scoot Henderson feature coming up, Tarkanian Classic. So I'll see you next week in Vegas, right? I'll be at Showcase. Yeah. Great. Are you going to come early for the high school stuff? Can, can I get it Sunday night? Jake? Okay. Is there any high school stuff Sunday night? Probably. There's games going on. I'll shoot you a text. We'll figure it out. Okay. All right. Sounds All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll be back next week. See ya.